You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode number 143. Joined by my decent-looking co-host, as he likes to call himself, Jake Gaylord. You getting after the sheds like everybody else in the in this world, or no? No, no, but so, I mean, just saying, you call me decent-looking, you can't have it all, right? I already have the smarts. I have, I have somewhat the looks, but, you know, I just can't find a shed or harvest a, a buck. So, I mean... I can't give you everything. That's basically what I'm trying to say. The first comment on the shed video the other day was, "Why are Why are Jake so good? Why is Why is everyone named Jake so good looking?" And I was like, "Who Who commented yeah. that? Oh. <laughs> Someone named Jake? Because we had Jake Ayers in the video, and then Jake commented that. That makes sense. Jake Ayers is a beautiful man. He's matured into a beautiful young man. Yes. So you're not you're not shed hunting this at all. Are, do you plan on going at all? I mean, we, I did, wanna, we did on public once. We did, but. and we walked what th- at least double digit miles, and we didn't find a dang thing except some pretty good spots where we might fling an arrow or two at a buck. But and some toilet paper. Yes, yes, and uh, but I think you did this last weekend, didn't you, Theo Vaughn? This last weekend? No, this past weekend. Yes, this past weekend. Yeah, we went out to uh, we went out to a couple of the leases uh, where people have. They're probably fairly familiar with folks that watch a lot of the videos. Um, the place where Peyton shot his buck last year, where I shot the six by seven, um, and then the place wide where load. I shot the wide load. Yeah, the seven pointer. Um, yeah, we went and shed hunted there. I was kind of disappointed in the spot that uh, I shot the seven and Drew shot that big, like twelve point or something last year. The one that scored one fifty five. Uh, we found four sheds there, and How Carol big found. Piece is that? it's almost 200 acres really yeah and there was like one freshie a uh, carol found it you can see it we just released a shed hunting video we ended up finding 62 in one weekend and like several deadheads so that video is live on youtube right now but you'll see the first shed that gone video carol found it a nice freshie it's like over the fence and carol's like oh i got one and uh-huh. i've never seen him so <laughs> athletic until you see a shadow jumping over that fence I thought it was a pretty good video. Like I'm not trying to be biased or anything, but I I actually did learn something in that video. That? A, Carol is more athletic than he seems. And then B, there was a little small clip in there where I don't know who it was, one of Jake's friends was talking about uh because one of y'all found like a like a little spike shed. And he was talking about how like which one was the front and like which way was the front, which way was the back of the spike. And he said yep. something about like the concave piece being the front part. Was that right? Concave or, or and convex. I don't even know what those words mean. So concave is like a C, like like like, and then the oh, convex and the is inside. like the it, concave is the outer. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, and that then, sounds photosynthesis. Exactly. Anyways, we don't know what we're talking about, but he said it all without stuttering or pausing, so it sounded legit. Yeah, yeah. No, that was Grady and uh, his girlfriend. His girlfriend found like a. Uh, she found actually several sheds, but she found that little spike one 
Those are the hardest to find. Those are the trophies. I, I don't see. I don't see how people find those. Dude, Grady found one that was probably an inch and a half, two inches long, a spike, and he. It, like by the end of the day I, in the Snapchat group, he had already drilled a hole in it and put it on his keychain. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was awesome. So and how now, many did you, did you all end up finding like that? We found 62 last weekend, and then I personally had my best weekend ever. I think I found 11. That's pretty good. So I found a match. I found a match set. They were from last year, but I found a match set probably off a 120-inch buck. That was probably the best shed that I found was a, I don't know, 45, 50 inch shed maybe. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a great weekend. Uh, we, we hunted some places that we just absolutely got into them. Like there was one place we, we found like 20, over 20 on one piece. Found some That's, good deadheads. It was, it was awesome. My feet were tore up by the end of the day or the end of the weekend though. I was ready to go. <laughs> yeah. So, so if, if it was, torn up from from walking to find sheds how's how's tack gonna treat you because tack's coming up in like two weeks two yeah. or three weeks at least tack is man it tack's brutal yeah it is like i'm wearing tennis shoes to tack i'm not wearing boots screw that i wore tennis shoes last last time and it, it, it worked just fine yeah but for people that haven't been to the broken bow haven't been to broken bow or the tack at broken bow it's up and down like I remember we shot one course that day. We went and got lunch at a gas station, and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm sunburned. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm dehydrated. Um, no, but I'm excited. I'm ex- oh, dude, it's going to be it's gonna be fun because, yeah, like uh, last year we just shot one course, and this year we're going to shoot all three days. And we, we think we're going to try to squeeze in multiple courses a day, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Saturday, probably only one course, but – Friday and Sunday, it depends, I guess. Yeah, we don't actually have a time booked. We haven't paid for Saturday to shoot yet. No, we but still have. But hopefully, I we'll thought, be able to shoot. I thought you said after one, you can shoot. I think so. I think you can. If not, if not, I'm shooting four on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So shed hunting was awesome. We had a. Uh, we got tack coming up. A lot of exciting stuff is is over the horizon. Heck, dude! Once we get past tack, it'll be turkey season, and then it'll be freaking time to start looking at some pictures again on trail cams. I'm excited mm, about that. that. That is exciting. I'm ready. Yeah. So the purpose of today's episode, Jake and I love to debate, and this is probably something not really debate heatedly, but just kick ideas back and forth so this is probably something we would do over a phone call but we were like why not do this on the podcast and share our opinion with you guys so we're going to talk about 10 age old hunting debates so we got a couple different stances on either side um and we're just going to or we might have the same we might we might have the same opinion on a lot of these but if we do i'll be devil's advocate okay okay yeah it works so we're just going to walk through these. Uh, you guys will quickly figure out how this is going to go. So you want to start it with the first one, Jake, what do you got for us? Yes. Yeah, so the first one, and I know we've like, we've already kicked this back and forth multiple times on a podcast. And if you're a longtime listener, you probably already know this, but for all the new guys, if there is any new guys or gals, probably or not gals, gals 99.9% of y'all guarantee you are men. So anyways, the first one would be age versus scores. So basically 
are you a hunter that shoots for primarily age? Like you would rather shoot a 120 or okay, let's say 115 inch six year old, or would you rather shoot a 150 inch three year old? Hmm. I already know Jake's opinion on this, and it's just terrible. He's not right, a conservationist. <laughs> pretend you're not talking to me. Pretend you're talking to the viewers. Yeah. the uh, If I had to pick one side of this debate, it's very hard to sit on one side because there's so many different contexts. Like, there's public land. There's private land. And I feel like I'm honestly two different people when I hunt in, different, in those different contexts. But on private land specifically, age, because I have to with the people that I lease from, <laughs> I, okay. will no, I will no longer have a place to hunt. If I, if I hunt score over age. Um, but I think, I think this is a tough one because a lot of the times when you're hunting a, a five and a half year old buck and a lot of people listening probably have never hunted a five and a half year old buck. I know I hadn't until the last few years. Um, well, according to some people on TikTok, five and a half is young and you're stupid. If you shoot a five and a half year old, Oh, the guy that said uh, you should be shooting eight and a half and above. That's when their antlers. Are yeah. The yeah. I was like, I was like, you know what? God bless your standards, I guess. God bless your one deer you've killed eight over eight <laughs> and a half. I mean, I know I've never killed one over eight oh, and a half. Oh, no. Absolutely not. No, I, I like hunting for age. Um, I think they're more challenging to hunt. I think they, uh, I don't know. There's something about killing a big bodied, mature animal that is really, really satisfying. But, to be honest with you, I don't think age and score are always uh, mutually exclusive. Like I think typically score does follow age, but where this gets a little uh, dicey is when something's like three and a half years old and it scores really well. Mm. That that is where, for instance, I would I would compromise some of my standards. Like let's say I had a a five and a half year old buck that was one forty, but I had a four and a half that was one sixty. It'd be very hard for me to be like okay, I'm going to shoot this one that's 20 inches smaller. Because uh, I think everybody, whether you like it or not, wants to shoot a big high-scoring deer. Right. Not necessarily because of the score, but because of how a deer that scores better looks. Like, they look bigger. They're bigger animals for the most part. So, um, I would prefer age, but I, I don't think that they're always mutually exclusive. I want to shoot something old and that scores high. What about you? I mean, I agree with you to a certain extent. Like, First off, never pass your biggest buck. I think that should be everybody's motto, right? Because, like, let's say it is a three-year-old that that scores, you know, like 135 or something like that. Like, yeah, that deer probably has very good potential. Or, heck, even if he scored 125 as a three-year-old in a lot of parts, like, that's a good three-year-old. Does he have potential? Yes, but if that's your biggest deer – my, in my opinion, fire away because like, let's say, let's say you pass on those deer, right? And if you're anything like me, I don't really like shoot, shooting does the majority of the season because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you never know what's trailing it. You know, you, you don't know when, when she'll be coming hot, and especially the longer it gets into season, the closer it gets to November. And it's just like, you're definitely not going to shoot a doe then. So what happens when that big, let's say the dream buck, the, five, six-year-old 150 comes strolling through, you're not going to know what to do. It's just like, can I draw back from here? I don't know. I have, I don't, I've never even drew back on anything. So I guess what I'm trying to say is shoot 
deer and I, I feel like this is the okayest hunter model, but shoot deer. And then all that does is give you experience. So when that buck of a lifetime comes through, it's just like, you know, I might actually be able to seal the deal on this. My fear is that we're raising a generation of deer hunters that think that pass deer for the sake of being cool and passing deer. Right. Like, oh, I haven't shot a 140, but I just passed that one. I'm like, that makes you dumb. Yeah, you well, look like that looks that's silly. Yeah. And I think there's a time and a place for that, right? Kind of like you say, like public versus private, time and a place. Like private for me, like okay, just to get it out in front, like I'm an I'd rather shoot for uh score over age any day. Like I don't care if it, because I'm, I'm 25 years old, right? I haven't shot just a crazy amount of deer in my life. Like I think I have like what five, four, four, four shoulder mounts. I got, I got a few euros and stuff, but for the most part I have four shoulder mounts and I, I can pass good deer in my thirties if I want to, or in my forties, if I want to, yeah right so like and you want to go like private versus public you know like even though i am a score over age like i would if if i seen a 150 inch two-year-old like let's just go to the extremes if i see 150 inch two-year-old i would shoot that over a five and a half or six and a half more extreme a nine and a half year old uh 120 i would rather do that and if they're standing side by side both broadside let's say at a corn pile or whatever. And I had the option to shoot either or I mean, if I had the option, Oklahoma has a two buck tag. I'm shooting both, obviously <laughs> trying to, but if I had to pick one, it's going to be that higher scoring deer. That's just where I'm at. I'm 25 years old. I'm not going to pass up a 150 right now. There ain't no way in heck. I don't care if that thing has a potential to be a, to be a 180 in a couple of years. Like, I don't care. Like now lower those limits a little bit. Uh, just this, or I guess it'd be two years ago. I had a nice, probably mid one twenties, three-year-old come strolling through my private piece. And I elected to pass on him just because like, again, it's private. You could definitely see, like we talked about it that year, you know, sending the trail games back and forth. He looked still immature, you know, his time length wasn't, wasn't there, but he, I mean, overall he had like decent eye guards, decent tines, just an, a beautiful mainframe 10. And I ended up having him come in and elected the past because it's just like, you know, this deer will probably be here next year. And he was, mm-hmm. and that's one of the times that I wanted to pass. And so like, it can be situational too. Like you don't have to, I guess, lean on one side or the other, but like public, if that deer would have strolled out, it's getting whopped or at least attempted to get whopped. Yeah. And Whack. I guess that's what I'm trying to go back full circle. It's like, I can I can pass deer when I'm in my 30s or 40s, and I mean, if someone wants to be mad about that, they can just be mad about it. But I'll I'll still grip and grin. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. Uh, the, I'm I'm with you. I I kind of worry uh, if we if people pass too many deer, and, and I understand like if you're on really good lease or your family has a property and you know these deer are going to survive or at least have a good chance, and you want to bet on the deer, that's one thing. Um, but when you see people that have shot less than double digit bucks and they're like, Oh, I'm passing on this. I'm passing on that. And their biggest year all the time. It's like, man, I'm afraid when something that strolls in that actually meets your standards, I'm afraid of your ability to kill it. 
You know what I mean? Because right. you're not you're not killing a bunch of stuff. Like maybe you're shooting a bunch of does, but let's just say people that only hunt bucks. Like you're not getting used to anyone that's bow hunting long enough knows that you have to get used to that arrow breaking, shooting. You have to shoot deer to get good at shooting deer. And if yep. you're not shooting them, then you got a problem. And by the way, I don't care what anybody says. It's different shooting a doe than a buck. Like I don't get ner- I don't get super nervous on shooting does. I try to let I I. I used to get super nervous about shooting does, but now when like something with horns comes in, like I'm still getting as nervous as I've ever been. Yeah. But it's just learning how to control those things. And, and Justin always told me you can celebrate after you've shot. Don't celebrate before. I used to celebrate way before like big buck coming in. I'm like, I, I won. I got him. <laughs> <laughs> and then he runs and then I miss and he runs away. Like that's happened to me many times. But I think once, uh, once people have, really got all those reps in that's when they can start worrying about like okay i want to manage for age i want to op- try to optimize for score i want to improve my property to grow bigger bucks yeah but go out there and become a good hunter first and then worry about all that other crap later we kind of put the cart before the horse mm. if that makes sense that's kind of how i think about it in in context of age versus score like everybody wants to be a big property manager be a deer killer and then we'll get all the other stuff we can work on later that's kind of that's at least that's how i i think about it no not, yeah that, that's a good point that's a good point kill deer you could do a full podcast on this we could do a full podcast on this and i have actually heard full podcasts on the subject number two is the age-old debate fixed versus mechanical broadheads which side of the fence are we on here i think i've changed my opinion on this just a little bit um did you go first on the last one? Yeah, you know, okay. uh, you're up. All right. So when people are bow hunting, uh, the the whole argument for expandable broadheads is accuracy, and and I totally agree that an accurately placed arrow with a field point is probably going to end up killing a deer. So when people use the expandable debate, it's typically based on. Um, I want to be accurate. That's my number one priority, and I I totally agree with that. And also. There's another, uh, there's another vein this goes in of like people don't want to resight in their bow for fixed broadheads, and I empathize with that too because that freaking sucks. Because then you go shoot your field points and they're off and they're different from your fixed. Um, but the more recently in my hunting career, I have used uh, fixed blade broadheads, and one of the reasons for that is I listened to to Joe Miles the other day talk about it a little bit like about control about controlling the uh, the variables that you can control and you are inviting some margin of error when you bring a, a fixed blade broadhead in and, or a expandable broadhead in because anything that has to open to create that cutting diameter is something that could fail and you see people do it all the time they shoot and they're like oh broadhead never opened that's not why I killed them I'm like it could be cuz you shot him in the back flank that could be why <laughs> yeah uh it's kind of funny you brought that up because the other day I was listening to a podcast and I think it was Exodus's podcast, but they were talking with somebody. It, it might, might've been something along with like broadheads or something along those lines. But he said the way to think of a uh, mechanical is imagine you have this like head high tall grass. And when you're going through it, imagine if you have your arms straight out to the side and you're trying to go through it. And he said, if it's super thick or even if it isn't grass, if it's like limbs and all that stuff, because, you know, if you have grass, let's say that's like 
the flesh and all that stuff. And, you know, let's say you have trees and low hanging branches, like think of those are like the ribs and like maybe the shoulder bone or something like that. Try to walk like that through all of that and see if you get hung up on anything and how much force it takes to, to rip your arms through all that debris. Now he mm -hmm. said, the slower you go, the harder, the harder it's going to be. But he said, the faster you go, uh, you got a better chance of ripping through that stuff. And he said, that's the same, the same way with a, uh, expandable. And it's kind of a good point because like talking about those far quartered, uh, quartered away shots, like going through the guts and stuff like that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of junk to go through, like hitting those guts, at least from a quarter to way shot. It's like hitting is at least what this guy said is like hitting a, uh, a shooting target bag. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like just, it'll stop it really easily, especially with, with an expandable and it very well could with the fix too. But like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you continue, but that, I no, that good point. I thought about that. Like I was thinking about that when you're shooting a deer broadside, think about the distance that the arrow has to travel to get a pen to get all the way through. That might be, 18 inches, right? Like a foot and a half to go all the way through the animal. When you're shooting a quartering shot, that distance might be three foot, four foot, you know? And it's like, you're expecting the same level of penetration, which you are not going to get. Mm -hmm. Because if you shot a deer broadside and there was four deer stacked back to back, you're not going through all of them. You well, know? Six, your six by seven is a perfect example because yeah. both times you shot it a little quartered away. And on that second shot, you kind of uh, hit back in the guts obviously because it was quartered away but you hardly got any arrow penetration we're using a fixed or an expandable that was an expandable that. yeah see that's a perfect example yeah it went in it looked i bet it went in eight inches 12 inches something like that but it looked like i remember shooting and being like dude that didn't go in at all and then i got to talking with people you know i talked with scott from thorn broadheads and he was like you gotta think like there's a lot to go through right there. And I was like, yeah, that's probably not an expandable issue. That's probably an, an angle issue. Um, and I'm not shooting 80 pounds and I'm not. Right. So anyways, that the fixed versus mechanical debate kind of where I, I would leave it with my opinion on it is if you're accurate, shoot whatever you want. Like you have to shoot something that you have confidence in. And if an expandable has, gives you confidence, that's great. If a fixed give you, gives you confidence, that's great, but don't use the your laziness as a way to say, "Well, I'm only shooting expandables because I don't want to do I don't want to do any more work, and I don't want to shoot my bow at all, and I want to know that I'm going to put my quiver on and it's going to shoot exactly where it is." If you practice and you feel accurate, shoot whatever you want. What are your thoughts? I mean, it just I don't want to sound like too. I don't care, but I mean. I really don't get like, like I really don't have a preference. Like the only fixed I, I shot here recently besides like an Allen broadhead a few years ago was, uh, thorn broadheads, the, the crown. And I kind of fell in love with that thing. Like the mechanical side of it, it was just like, eh, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like, obviously now it seems like all mechanicals basically somewhat shoot the same right like right they're it, accurate it, if you hit a deer good like obviously anything's going to kill it but there wasn't like anything that i was just like crazy over like yeah they all look nice and and all that stuff but in my opinion it was just like the same old broadhead for the mechanical side at least but again i guess they don't have like too crazy of like a uh a, 
a list of, of broadheads on that, but they're fixed. The crown, that thing is sexy, right? It like cool. It looks cool. It it flies cooler than it looks. Like that thing, that thing's a beauty. But uh with that being said, I think if I was a if if I had two options, whether it be the crown or what I fell in love with the past few years is the Grim Reaper Whitetail Specials. And you know, this three bed, uh, three blade mechanical. And that thing, that thing has zipped through some deer. Now, granted, they've been relatively good shots and stuff, but I don't know. If I was to pick one, I think it'd be mechanical. But again, it all it all depends on the person. Like, are you a person that wants to uh I guess be ready for something crazy to happen because obviously deer duck, they turn away and all that stuff. So, so every now and then if you hunt long enough, you're going to get marginal shots or even bad shots. And people are like, Oh, I'm going to use an expandable just in case for those shots or, and, but on the flip side, you can say the same thing about the fix. Like, Oh, just in case that happens and I hit shoulder or something, I want something that's going to pop through. And it's just like, you you just got to pick your poison. And like, I think out of all these questions, I think the, the like honestly, the fix versus expandable is like the one I could probably care less about because it's just like it's it's whatever you feel confident in. Like my two broadheads, if I was to go, if you were to tell me I'm going to shoot a 150 inch deer tomorrow, and it's a guaranteed like he's coming in every day the same time. This is the stand. You got perfect wind, perfect weather. Your access is going to be beautiful. What are you going to take in? Like the the crown or the or the whitetail special i'm probably going to say the whitetail special yeah that's what you have confidence and experience with so that's what you're probably gonna lean to and i i want to say this in closing at this one i shot five deer this year or six yeah five no i shot six uh but anyways a lot yeah so many (laughs) uh but no i got five pass-throughs with an nap thunderhead and an exodus mmt arrow which was lighter than any arrow i've shot in the last four years um but i would say this every shot is so different like every shot is i i truly believe you never have the exact same distance the exact same angle the exact same impact ever i think that's like once everyone is completely different so you can have instances where you shoot an expandable and it zips through like butter and you can have an instance where you shoot a fix and it doesn't it doesn't penetrate worth a crap and you're like oh see that my if i don't shoot an expandable every shot is different you don't know if that arrow hit a or if that brought it hit a rib you don't know the deflection you have no idea the exact angle that deer was standing so when you take all that in shoot something that gives you confidence that when this arrow flies, it's going to hit where I want it to go. And I'm putting that deer down. And honestly, I've found a lot of different broadheads that have given me confidence. Swackers, NAPs, thorns, rage. I've killed them all with, I've probably used eight, nine different broadheads and I've killed deer with all of them. So My I can care less too. Yeah, that's good. Next question. And I feel like there's a lot of controversy wrapped around this one. Scent control versus no scent control. What do you got on that? Dude, I, uh, I've went probably on every edge of the spectrum you can on this, like from eight years old to 16 years old, our scent control was step in a cow patty on your way in. (laughs) Like that Mm. was, that was our scent control to when I started doing a little more hunting on my own, I was like, well, 
I'm about sick of getting winded. So like I would have my grandma stop at Walmart and I would get pretty much like every scent control product you would. And I would spray down all the time and I'd go out and I'd get winded again. I'm like, God, like I can't, I can't win when it comes to, when it comes to scent control. Well, at about 18 years old, 19 years old, I started out hanging out with our buddy Jake and he was like, we went to his house and he was talking about stand locations and he said, uh, yeah, we can't hunt this one because of this wind. And I was like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> but you got a picture of this buck on this one. So why aren't we hunting this one? Yeah. He was like, we can't hunt this one. These are the stands we can hunt based on this wind. And I was like, that was my first introduction to playing the wind. And when we got out of the truck, we would go and like no sand control, no anything. And we wouldn't get winded because we were playing the wind. And that was my first introduction. And probably since that time, I've bought one or two bottles of sent away like in the last six years. And I've tried to play the wind contrary. You juxtapose that with public where we hunt and some other folks from PA and uh, maybe like the Eastern coast might have this same experience, Arkansas, uh, when you hunt in the in the mountains, the wind is bullcrap. You get on your weather it app; it says southwest. It could be northeast. Like it's, and by the way, it's never. It seems like it's never the same way when you get down in those bowls. Like it switches. Like it'll be northeast, and then it'll be coming from the south. And so, in that pers- from that perspective, usually within a couple hours too. Oh like yeah, sometimes. Oh yeah, and from that perspective, it's. I don't want to say impossible because that's not the right word, but it is very hard to play the wind consistently. And when I get up in the tree, when if I've put in a lot of work to get into that stand location, I'm not getting down because the wind switched. Like, not happening. I'm not so, moving. Yeah, we had this saying where it was like, uh, yeah, if you climb up in your tree and the wind's wrong, all you got to do is just turn your stand <laughs> all the way around the tree, 180 degrees, and then just sit and watch that way. because that's about all you can do. And the good thing about those mountain deer too, is like, as we already discussed, like they bet anywhere, there's no rhyme or reason on why they should be walking from this way or where they're going or anything like that. So like, that's kind of the, the love hate relationship part of it. Just like, yeah, you know, like the winds unknown on what it's going to be, but so is the buck movement in a way. So just like, the stars really do have to align, especially in that. And, and like the, the, the mountainous area. We did, we did some, uh, or for, I did some research one time for a TikTok about, uh, how many like human odor molecules there are. And like, I think there was hundreds, uh, and there was some research that showed that like certain scent control products could, uh, eliminate like 20 something, 30 something of those. And maybe that could be the difference between you killing a buck and not, but for me, I lean on the other side of the fence of like on private, I'm going to play the wind. So I don't need scent control and on public, I'm going to get screwed either way. So (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, might as well save $12 and not, I don't carry a bottle of scent control. Like I used to be, when we would get out on public, I'd be like, dude, who's got the scent control. And and like, we'd leave it. And I'd be like, dude, dang it. Like I would not feel good about the sit. Now it's just like, no, nah, it's fine. I mean, do you still use it? I mean, if it's just like available, if it's just sitting in the back of your truck or something, yeah, I'll 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 spray because 
even if it's, you know, 0.01%, you know, better, like bettering your odds, like just a minuscule amount, then it's just like, I'll do it. Like I'll do it. But the thing is, I'm not going to go out of my way to do something that I think that like won't really benefit me. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a, it's like a time versus effort ordeal. It's like, even if I do the max scent controller or whatever, like, could it help me? Yeah. But also it might not because again, like if we hunt public, yeah, we could take the extra time and do the John Eberhardt way and, you know, have everything in a tote and get ready after we get out of the truck and, and do all that stuff. But for the most part, like day four, heck, even day three end of the little November rutcation, I'm not going to give a dang about any of that because it's just, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get too off subject, but like it is a, it is like a, a mind screw up type thing down there. Cause like, you know, you're going to have low deer density in the, in the, in the mountainous area. Right. Or at least see uh very few deer. And it's just like, by, by the end of that, it's just like, why am I even doing all this anyways? Like scent control, like there's not even anything that's going to win me anyways. So <laughs> anything to help a little bit of more of a mental state while I hunt. It's just like, I'm going to do that. Like if I just add on an extra like process of trying to get all my scent, like everything scent free or close to scent free, then I'm not even going to worry about that just for like my mental health, I should say. That's fair. And I will say that, uh, there might be specific situations that people that are listening are like, Oh no, I need scent control when I do this. Cause I'm pushing the edge or what would that be? I just think of a situation like where a guy is sitting, like a, you always hear people say like a quartering wind, like a wind where you're almost oh, favoring the deer. It's like, well, I want to give myself every opportunity to go to the 10th degree of anything that I can control. And to them, I would say more power to you. That's awesome. I, I, I don't maybe. And the more that I think about it, maybe I should, but then again, <laughs> yeah. then again, when I have it, I use it, you know, like it, I don't think it hurts anything, but, uh, I just don't actively seek it out. If I have it, I'll use it. So do you think you're ever going to, going to try like the John Eberhart method? Maybe. I don't know. It sounds like a, if what, if what they say is true, then it sounds great, but it's also an investment. <laughs> and I've invested so much money into clothing already that I'm like, if someone gave me a scent lock suit, I'd try it. But I probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I probably, probably won't seek one out to purchase for right. a while. That's just how I'm thinking about it. Okay, so this one, next one, number four. What hunting means to different people? Um, trying to think if there's a better way to say that. Probably not. Yeah. So what I got off this is what hunting means to different people. And so for some people, hunting could mean, you know, has to be low fence, fair chase. And apparently now to be considered the end all be all hunter of the woods, you have to kill one out of a saddle on public. Right. Like right. that's, that's some people. If you shoot a deer on private, they're like, Oh, great. You know, you're shooting fish in a barrel. And then there's other people that are on the complete opposite side of that spectrum, where it's just like their, their, their idea of hunting is paying somebody to sit in a redneck blind in a high fence operation and kill a 300, basically. And like, like they consider that hunting, like, you know, and it's just, 
I just feel like that's a good topic to touch on because like hunting, hunting can mean hundred hundreds of different things. Like people can go hunting to, to just set out, set out in the woods and seek God. And then other people can go out in the woods and not see a deer and then be, be PO'd about it. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. like, e- even if you don't see anything, one person's happy and you know, like, like full of joy and the other person's all bummed out. And it's just like, there's, there's, there's that aspect of it. And then there's the aspect of, you know, if I, if I didn't kill my target buck, then it was a crappy season, even though I seen X amount of, you know, good bucks. And then there's other people that, you know, like me, when I first started hunting, I literally, I literally seen two deer all like, and this probably has to do a lot with scent control and stuff. Because at the time, <laughs> I literally, okay. So just to get off on like, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. It has to do a lot with scent control because before we weren't playing the wind and I just got my very first trail camera at the time. And so what I did is we used to have a whole bunch of chickens and we, we always had like a whole bunch, like a lot of bags of uh, that cracked corn that you toss out for the chickens. Mm-hmm. I would bring a, a tin pail, like, like a tin bucket full of uh, that cracked corn and I would carry it all the way out there to the buddy stand. And the only reason I didn't carry more at a time is because I wanted to go out there daily and check that trail camera. And so every day I would bring a bucket of cracked corn, I'd walk it out there, pour it on the ground, check the camera, see what came in. And then like, like I love doing that. I, I love doing that. And if you did that today, you would be shunned. And it's just like, well, look, thankfully I didn't have social media at the time or anything like that. But ne- like that, neither did anybody. <laughs> right. You're right. But, but that's what I did. And, uh, Oh, where are we going with this? Yeah. What it means to different people. Yeah. So like, that's, that's what I did. And I only seen two, two deer that whole season. And I was trying to bow hunt. I think it was my first year in the bow hunting or, or close to that. And like, I, like, I thought that was awesome. You know, I hadn't encountered the, the closest a, a, a doe got to me. It was like probably 25 yards while I was in the stand. And I was like, Oh, I, I, I seen a deer today. Like that was really close. Like I almost, I almost was able to shoot one. Like, and I, consider that cool and it's just it's just weird how how hunting can mean so many different things it can i wonder uh one of the things i wonder is how many people would hunt if you could never show anybody that's one of the Mm. that's one of the questions that i think about often when in a world of social media it's like I guess we don't have to really worry about this and I don't want to act like I'm an old wise person because I'm not that old, <laughs> but we did, we did Wisdom start hunting. beyond your years, young grasshopper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we did start hunting before social media. And I remember just like trying to describe things to people without a picture. You're like, it's like this big and that bass. I swear, dude, it was like, imagine my foot's here and then it's like here. And you're well, like, that's what oh, we used crap. to do with fish. We used to literally lay them down next to the rubber boot and be like, this is a size, size eight boot. Yeah. And then like we, we would snap a picture and like, that's how we measured fish. It's like, it was this long. It didn't matter if it was like super thin or whatever. You could always do that fisherman arm and hold it way out. Like people do with deer and stuff. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. It is. But when, when we used to hunt, I remember. I remember calling you on the phone and you'd be like, dude, I shot a buck today. And you said, I think it was like an a seven point or a nine point or something. And I didn't get to see the buck that you shot until I came over to your house and you showed me the skull cap. And like, that's, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. That's how we grew up hunting. But now it's like when you intertwine like 
money and content and sponsors and all these things. It's like, do my only question would be for people was like, what, how many people would quit doing it if it wasn't cool to hunt? Now we're even in this trend where it's like sustainability. It's like, I want to know where my food comes from. So like now it's cool to hunt, you know, whereas five years ago, it's like, Oh, you murdering POS. But now it's like, it's cool to hunt. It's like, I know where my meat comes from. The government's not poisoning me. Like there's so many, it's almost like becoming cool to hunt. And it's just like, I guess it's a it's a stupid way to think about it because it's, it's like, wild because it used to be a necessity. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> have to. It's crazy. Yeah. But one of the things I worry about and one of the things I wrote out here was like, and I've heard this on several different uh, platforms, was like, we're raising people that don't love to hunt for the thrill of the hunt or the challenge. And they just want to hunt to be like a glorified trigger man. Like they want to mm-hmm. go out and, they want to get it on video. They want to shoot the biggest buck possible. And it's not about anything else other than that. Tell that tell that Don Higgins story. Oh, that was nuts. You guys can listen to it on a <clears throat> it's the most recent recent episode of Chasing Giants. I don't know exactly the number um it was, but this one really opened my eyes a lot. But Don Higgins was telling a story about he used to have a uh, captive deer. And he's, you know, the biggest thing on for captive deer, the biggest money in it is selling them to ranches to hunt. Like that's where the money is on the big bucks. So we sold a buck to this ranch to hunt. And, uh, the guy wanted him to pull up to this gate quietly, open the gate, open the pen and let the buck run out of the, uh, uh, the trailer that he had because there was a hunter set up like 200 yards away. And what they were hoping was when they opened up this high fence and let this buck in that would run down this ridge and this hunter would shoot it. And he was like debating doing it or not. And he said that he did. He ultimately did. And he closed up his trailer real quiet. And he said he wasn't like a thousand yards down the road. And he got a text, a picture of the buck. And it was like, he's like, great job. It worked perfect. The guy's pumped up. (laughs) And I was just like, and he, he said that was the reason that he quit raising captive deer. And I was sitting there just thinking about that. I was like, that is the most unfulfilling version of hunting that you can ever think about. That's not hunting in any sense of the word. Right. That's not and, hunting at all. And but, I agree. But for that person sitting in the blind like that, that's he just hunted. Right. And that's what we're making it into. That's what I'm saying when you intermix money and inches and like it's almost like a big a a dong measuring contest it's like dude i got a 400 inch deer it's like i don't give a i don't care if you have a 400 inch deer first of all i didn't shoot my deer for you and you shouldn't shoot your deer for me like and and it i don't want to get too what's the right word cliche or whatever but again you've heard this thousand times it's called hunting not killing right like to hunt something it's to basically get in that mindset of what the deer likes, where, where it lives, uh, uh, where it travels and you, you, you physically and mentally hunt that deer. And even when you put all the, the right things together and the stars aligned, you still might not even go home with that buck or that doe or whatever animal you're chasing. And it's just like people like, if people would just listen to what they say, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go hunting this weekend. It's just like, think about what you just said. Like, if 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 you're that person that sat in the blind and killed that deer that was 
three minutes from being out of a trailer, then it's just like, did you hunt or did you kill? Like, yeah, you had to make the right shot and stuff like that, but there's a lot of people, there's a lot of kids that probably could have made that shot. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to go one way or the other because you know, if, if, if that's your, if that's where you find God is sitting in a redneck blind, waiting on a 300 incher to walk out from, from someone's trailer, more power to you, you know, because yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things like this really doesn't matter. But it's just like, I guess, I guess that's, that's a take home is like, think about what you say. And this could work for a lot of ways other than just hunting, but like the word hunt, like, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to, to me, the fun part is the pursuit. So when Putting you the pieces t- together, absolutely. That's what we've talked about though, is like, I've done, I try to gather as many perspectives as I can. I've done outfitting. I've done an outfitted deer hunt. I've done an outfitted waterfowl hunt and it's fun. I have a deer on the wall because of it. But when I took the, the 90% of the story out of it in the pursuit, like the setting up, the finding the animal, the tracking, all that stuff, it took like 90% of the joy out of it too. For me, other people might not find joy in the pursuit, right? They might not be like, they might not like that, but that's 90% of the effort too. It is. It is like you can take away that 90% of the effort and outsource that to someone else to do for you. And to me as Hunter, I didn't find that as as much fun because when we get up and we're waking up and like we've slept in the truck or something on public land and like we're going to check out trail cameras that I'm almost not, I'm not going to say I am. I'm almost as excited as when I see that deer. Like when I find him on trail <laughs> camera, it's like, I feel like dog, the bounty hunter. I'm like, I found you. You were hiding yeah. and I found you, you slipped up and I'm going to find you and I'm Liam Neeson and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like that's, that's how I, that's how I feel when I get that trail cam uh, picture. So to take that aspect, the pursuit out of it makes it a meaningless effort for me. The Hunters Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family-owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What bites sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. It's a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast, go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. All right. It's it's not as fun. Well, you told that 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 one story, and I don't know if it was on Don, Don's podcast, the other one about the dude shooting the smaller buck and then the yeah, cameraman that was climbing the down. Yeah. You wanna you wanna touch that one too? Oh, it was just a, it was just, he was on the same podcast, uh, but he was talking about a TV personality that shot like a 130 inch buck and the cameraman started to get out of the tree stand or something. And he said, stop. He said, uh, we're waiting for something. This isn't a one buck state. He said, we're, we're waiting for something bigger. He said, if we don't shoot anything bigger, this hunt, we'll take that 130 incher. But if we do shoot something bigger, we'll just delete the footage and leave that one. That's That's what the guy said. That's disgusting. Yeah. That. That's, but that's kind of where 
that's where we're going. Like the Bible says, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's just a love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. And when people love money, they will do anything, including corrupt something that so many people find joy and incite, excitement out of and make it something it's not, you know, like I can't, I can't stand that, but to each their own, I guess. And I guess, I guess the Trump all in, in this is more is legal and ethical. That's like the, you know, you can do whatever you want, but yeah, but there's a lot of things that are le- that are considered legal and considered ethical that still isn't right. Yeah. And so. I guess every person has to choose <laughs> that, choose that for themselves and find, find a way to hunt that you enjoy, uh, you enjoy and get the most joy out of it. John Eberhardt was a good guest on this because he said, I don't like where it's going, but I'll be dead and I won't be here to, to see it. Right. And I was like, that doesn't make me confident. I'm young. I, I don't want to see where it's going to go. You know what I mean? I really, yeah. Don't. And again, we're not saying you have to, you know, hunt public only out of a saddle and, and do it shooting a traditional bow with your fingers. Like that's not what we're saying. Now, if you right. do that, send us a message. We love you on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, you got anything else on that? No, I think we're good on that one. All right. Mountain rugged public hunting versus manicured beautiful property with box blinds and food plots. Both, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they brought out like a hunting menu and it had like two items, it was like public land out of the saddle and redneck over brassicas food plot with 190 i'd be like i'll take one of both <laughs> I yeah mean, yeah i i love both like let me buy a vowel yeah a it's the ying and i think about public and private as like the ying and the yang of hunting like they go together one on one hand you get to hunt an, an animal that is acting like a deer should i've never heard a deer snort wheeze on public land i went to a piece of private that is hunted the correct way and I heard snort wheezes. I heard rattling. I heard just noises I've never heard uh, out of a deer before. And it was awesome. And I like that. And I like being able to chase a mature animal and know that if I don't mess it up, I'm probably going to be able to get a shot at this deer. But on the other hand, it's very fun to go on public and be like, everything is against me here. Like not only is the deer against me, the people are against me. I'm battling, uh, just a bunch of different factors I can't control while still managing my emotions and wanting to kill that deer so bad. Uh, but, and it makes it extremely rewarding. Like the, just like we talked about the other day, my, my biggest buck is not my favorite buck. My public land buck that I shot with my bow in 2020 is my favorite deer I've ever shot, even though it's not my biggest deer. It's like my third biggest deer, but the story, the work, the process that went into that deer makes it very, very sweet. I, if I had to think about these two as a menu, I would take one of each. These aren't versus, these are and, or in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I think you, I think you nailed that one on the head. Like, I don't think there's anything else I really need to touch on, on that, but I guess we could ask this question with it as well about how mountain hunting seems sexy, but it's not. Mm. You know what I mean? Because like you listen to, to some podcasts and and I guess some people would be like, I don't know what podcast you're listening to because I've never heard that in my life. But to me, at least, it's just like, it seems like every every person, like if you were to ask them their dream, their dream scenario, like whether it be 
sitting up on, on the corner of a cornfield, you know, and waiting for that 150 to walk out, you know, just this beautiful scenery where even if a deer's 500 yards away, you can see where they're kind of funneling out of the timber into the field in, you know, and you can see them walk the edge and just see, basically see how they act. And like, you're entertained in that, like that, I feel like is the majority of the people's like dream scenario setup type ordeal. And then you have those people that hunt the mountainous area. I mean, like, like Bo, uh, I was, I was murdered last name. Yeah. Martonic. And, uh, you have him who's primarily like hunts Pennsylvania. Like that's what he's known for is that big woods, hill country, thick timber type scenarios. And it's just like, it seems sexy. Like, oh yeah, I'm hunting mountain bucks. You know, I'm up here, the big woods, like that's, that's, I think to me, like that's like the sexiest thing out of out of all. A because we've kind of did a little bit of it. Like we went to Kansas, we were able to hunt over the bean fields and stuff, and it was great. Like I hundred percent see the the like uh the draw to like the Midwest states. And I, I couldn't even imagine sitting over a cornfield and, and and stuff like that. That would be amazing. But as of right now, I'm more partial to that mountain country. But the thing is, like it seems sexy and it seems like, you know, like that's what everybody's like wanting to kind of move towards it almost feels like. But the thing is, is like, they don't see the downside to it. Like they might be able to understand it, but it's just like, until you're there with low deer density and a place where I would say most of the time you're not even, you can't even see 50 to 75 yards. And it's just like, if I don't hear anything like a deer blow or something, because that's, that's another thing. Like, and it could be the wind swirling down on those bowls or whatever, but a lot of times I, I think down there deer just blow to blow. So unless you just hear the blowing or you actually see one or something like that, just like you feel hopeless. Like you feel out of the ball game. You feel like you don't know what you're doing. Like every, every move you make is wrong. And then all of a sudden one comes strolling by and you're like, I'm a genius. Yeah. But I guess what I'm trying to say is like mountain hunting isn't as sexy as everybody thinks, if that makes sense. It's, it's not, it's not, a, it's not as sexy as everybody thinks, but it's, it's more rewarding than, and, and this is kind of like, uh, I think we talked about this on the phone the other day was, it was like, uh, mountain hunting is regarded as like the hardest thing to do for whitetail. And so if you're successful, like one out of two or one out of three years, it's like, oh, that's a good mountain hunter. Like, and I think that's, I just think that's interesting. Like, um, if you have a manicured farm, people are going to expect you to kill a big mature buck every single year. And if you hunt public land, mountain hunting, there's almost always a, uh, not an excuse, but there's always a reason that you didn't kill a good one. And, uh, I would agree. There is always a reason. And for us, it seems like it's somebody walking under the tree. <laughs> <laughs> or at yeah. least that's what Carol would say. Uh, we need him on here. I called him earlier and, and, he, uh, like after five seconds, he's like, I got a work call. I'll call you back and call you back. Did he? No. All right. So number six is the, I think this one's near and dear to your heart. Picking a tree versus debating where to sit. Dude. If I could narrow my, my, my hunting career, I bet you 90 at least 85% of my time hunting, at least public land, is picking a tree. 
Because, dude, let me tell you, I have that mentality of the grass is always greener on the other side. Like, for instance, in Kansas, this just this last year, uh, on the second week of that vacation trip, my very first sit in here, I was like, you know, instead of just finding the best sign, like, like I'm wanting to like really work through this area because we got we got days to spend, you know, there we thought, and uh, like I, I'm just wanting to find the best piece of sign. Well, what's the best piece of sign you could think of? Scrapes, rubs. Yes, there was Your that, case. but also it's November probably eighth through the tenth, somewhere around there, and you're in Kansas. There was literally a, like two doe that were like that ran by me at like probably 25 yards, panting like they were getting chased, and I was like, "That's like the best sign out of all of them." I think is like like a a, a doe in heat, and I was like, "I'm gonna set up here," but. I walked down this trail and I was like, you know, like I need to set up over here because this looks like, you know, a pretty good crossing. But I was like, don't be stupid. Sit where you just seen a doe and heat at. So I went back, set up and ended up like picking a tree. And I was like, this, this one tree has to work. And like, again, I say that quickly. I was sitting there for probably, I'm not even kidding, probably close to half an hour trying to find the right tree in this little section of timber. And I, I go pick a tree. I'm like, I'm just going to have to make that one work. I get crawled all the way up there and get my platform on there. And then, uh, you got to step up on it. And I'm like, I have no shooting lanes whatsoever. Like it was like just thick. It was like a canopy was surrounding me. And I was like, it's either this or I'm five yards off the ground or five feet up, uh, off the ground on this tree. So long story short, I had to go back to the original spot and set up, but down in the mountain country, like every tree looks the same. So it's like, you, you shouldn't have a problem picking a tree, but I still do. I'm like, do I need to set up on this side of the drainage? Do I need to set up on this side of the drainage? Like I feel like I always think, and then when I get set up, I'm like, I should have went another 200 yards deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just one of those things. And that's something I still haven't fixed. So picking a tree. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you're uh, the complete opposite though, because, uh, 20, was it 2021 or Sometime you tagged out when we were down there hunting Oklahoma public and we were back at the Booner spot and you said, uh, we were trying to move a little bit because we weren't going to sit in that, that original kill tree. And I was sitting there like, like looking like, like at trees and you're like this one. And I was like, why do you say this one? He's like, you got good shooting lanes. You know, it's pretty close to that, that, that the edge of the timber where the timber meets the tall grass and stuff. And, I, and you're like this one. And I was like, okay. But the whole time I was like, mm-mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've I've hunted in the mountains enough to know. I'll, I'll tell a brief story. This is this is probably the number one reason that I am that way. Uh, Justin and I hunted in the community center. We hunted the original tree that I always hunt. Okay. Well, while we hunted the original tree, eighty yards behind us down this creek bottom, one doe comes running by, and three bucks are chasing her. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's sick! Like that's where we need to be. They're going to keep doing that. Okay, well, we the next day we move over there. Now, the deer, the, the next bucks that come by are 80 yards by our original tree. Where this we was were in sitting. 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, we okay. were sitting the like a few days before. And then on top of that, we saw other bucks, another 150 yards up on the ridge running that way. And what I've realized in the mountainous habitat is not this way in ag and stuff. There, I, I, I do believe there is a right tree in ag and those kind of countries. Uh, but in the mountainous habitat, it's like those deer, you look at the trails, 
they don't walk the same trail every single day. They, they, it's almost like they carve a trail and it's different every single day. So it's like, in my mind, if you sitting in the right, in the same tree, as long as it's not way out of the action is going to be more advantageous than moving around because eventually in my mind, they're going to come by that one tree. And I don't put too much thought into it unless I see deer doing something different consistently where I'm like, I'll move and I'll go over mm. there. But I just, I just think like you'll drive yourself nuts looking oh. for the right <laughs> yeah. tree. I just get up in the tree. And also this is one of my, um, motivations to be able to shoot far. And like I'm talking like 60 and in is that if I put myself 10 yards out of the game, I still have range with my equipment to make up for that. That's the way that I think about it. That's a good point. That's a good point, but not me. I'll spend, I'll spend half an hour, dude. One of these days you're going to be sitting at the bottom of your tree after like half an hour and like a 170 is going to come marching by. You're like, dude, I just picked a tree. That's the day. That's the day I get as high as I can and jump off. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm serious. Like, like there, I mean, I don't want to talk too much longer on this, but like, there's been times, even in the the place with all the pine trees and stuff, like there's been times I would connect my bottom piece to one tree, and then as I look around, I'm like, that tree seems better. And I'd go and connect my top piece to this one and then go get my bottom piece. And it's just like, like really? But dude, the grass is always greener, man. I think the grass is dead on both sides, and I'm just praying. That's the way. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I need to get through, I guess. That's the way I think about it. All right, so... This was a thought I had a while back ago, and I made a TikTok on it. And, but I just get to thinking, like, for us, the way we think is that if, a, if an area is unpressured, no human intrusion, you would think that deer would get bigger, correct? You would think. So that takes me back and I'm like, so what about before like the English settlement, right? Before the Mayflower came over and it was just a whole bunch of Native Americans running around slinging arrows at stuff with bows that shot 50 feet per second. 50, yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you think the deer were bigger? And there was one comment on there that made a good point that they thought no because – the way like the world works now is like, there's a whole lot of like agriculture and those places like the Midwest where there's a whole bunch of like farming, you know, corn, beans, all that good stuff like that, that brings enough nutrients. But I don't really agree with that in a way I can kind of see it. But also I, I'm like, no, because all the other places like, you know, like for example, it's just what we know, the mountain country, like there's no farming there, but they're still big deer. Mm-hmm. What's your what's your thought on that? For my imagination's sake, I want to say yes. yes. Like I want to think that one day when a river reroutes and it goes on a different route that it was on for five hundred years, that there's gonna like a, a deadhead's gonna come up out of the mud that's like four hundred and fifty inch typical mm. or something like that. That's how I want to think about it. Um, in all reality. I bet, I bet the top end was probably the same. Like I think, think so. the, I think the genetic maximum has probably somewhat been the same for a long period of time. I think the quantity of big ones could have been more 
that's kind of how I think about it. Like if the yeah. deer were getting to maturity and the only thing killing a deer is predation, because think about deer now, like most deer aren't dying for predation. It's probably people. But that brings a good point too. Like let's say, because Oklahoma used to have, you know, cougars and wolves possibly, I think. Mm-hmm. And then like, but like, regardless, I know wolves were a lot more uh, frequent in a lot of States where they're not now. And probably same with bears and, 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 and other uh, predatory species. And it's just like those could have been killing them. More probably not. Probably not as 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 frequent as humans today, but like at the time, like I'm I'm sure it probably put a dent in and a couple like po- population uh, groups. What's more deadly? Two thousand mountain lions or three hundred fifty thousand Michiganders with rifles? <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you ask. I mean, that's kind of my argument. Is like. I bet, and I know that deer were like and stuff where most of these ungulates were hunted to the point of like almost extinction, right? And that's where conservation like saved a lot of these species. But I, I just like to think, and this could, this is rooted in no fact or science. I just like to think that there were like 180 inches running around everywhere. That, like, yeah. I just like to think that. And I like to think there was Native Americans, our ancestors, that were like being like, gosh, I wish I could shoot 30 yards. He's right over there. You know, like, <laughs> just, just going to go down to the Creek one day to get some water to bring back for your grandpa. Who's 140. And then <laughs> like literally just seeing like a, a Monarch one, 190, And it's just like, damn it. <laughs> I know. That's what I think about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think on that? Do you think they were bigger? I mean, I would, I would like to think so. Yeah. Like, if I had to choose like one way or the other right now, I would, I would say they were bigger, like, and kind of like what you said, maybe not the top end, like that much bigger. I think it probably was a little bigger, but they were probably more common for sure. I would think. I would think. Yeah. If they had the Boone and Crockett record books, like, but there was a lot of them, dude, the trad bow kills would be nuts. <laughs> How many big ones got killed? Uh, so this is a good, good topic. Number eight, working our way through these. Should you hunt after you bump a big bump, a buck? So old bump and dump. What do you Mm. think of old bump and dump? I think yes. And I didn't do that. Yeah. Well, apparently there's always going to be somebody, so you might as well be the first. Uh, I think I did this wrong, uh, last year because, very first into that trip at, at uh end of the rotation remember down off that 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 one spot where jordan and J- uh justin yep. like to be i was more down towards the left of there and probably 200 yards from my truck i thought i jumped like probably at least a 130 class deer and i was like dang it he was with the doe and again you don't know where they bed but in this instance it was better just like literally in the bottom of the strainage, literally in the bottom. And the doe started blowing at me and then ran down the drainage a little further where I, of course it was out of view. Cause that past 75 yards, you're just like, mm-hmm. don't know where they're at. Started blowing again. Well, come to think of it, I should have set up right there and just been like, you know what? If they didn't smell me, which I, I guess I didn't have the same mindset now, but like, I think if you bump something and you're walking with the wind to your face, I think you can get away with setting up, but if you bump something and it's the direction that they smelled you, 
I think most of the time, if they smell you first, you're not going to see them because they're just going to sneak out of there without without blowing or anything. But if you bump them, and I think even if they, they, they blow at you, but if they don't smell you, I say set up there. And I didn't do that last season, but I should have. I have no anecdotal proof or whatever, but, and again, I'm, which I, I don't want to be that guy not having really any anecdotal proof, but listening to other people. But there's, there's some people like, uh, for instance, Aaron, Aaron Warbritton or War from the hunting public. Yep. He was talking about that. And I kind of trust his experience, right? Like you, you can kind of vet out who's, who's done it, who hasn't. Obviously, if you watch any of the hunting public stuff, you can tell he knows his stuff. And he was, he, he was talking on that and basically made the same point. And I was like, yeah, like that, that makes sense because like it, the one thing you cannot beat is the deer's nose. Yeah. Allegedly. But Originally. yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the way I feel about it. Like bump and dump, like obviously don't, don't trek through there. Like you're like you're Cameron Haynes trying to run a marathon, right? Like hunt your way through it, I guess where you where you should obviously i didn't think I, I needed to hunt that close or start hunting through it that close from the truck or to the truck but again i guess it's all it's all situational i'd probably i'd probably agree with what you said like it seems like the more that we hunt the mountains the more i get comfortable bumping deer because it's just like when 80 percent of the freaking place is bedding it's like you're gonna bump some deer so I've bumped deer like out from under the tree that I'm hunting in to get up in a tree. Mm. So it's like, but I agree with you. Generally speaking, like I, I honestly think it's worse to be smelled than it is to be seen because when, when you consider that deer have like 2060 vision and that their vision is like super wide and, and kind of blurry, it's like, they probably didn't even know exactly what that was when they saw, but when they smell you, it's like, I'm gone. Yeah. So, I think if you're planning on doing a bump, I know there's a lot of people that bump and dump on deer drives with scent. Like they walk. Oh yeah. They like, they use their scent to, to bump. Right. So from that sense, like wind with your face walking in, bumping something, it, it would, I'd have no problem getting up in a tree after that. Like that well, wouldn't bother me. There's a lot of different stories that you can hear. If you, if you look hard enough of people like saying, Oh, you know, like I, I bumped a big old buck, you know, walking through trying trying to get to my pen that I set that was, you know, half a mile away and ended up bumping them on my way back too from from that hunt. And it, you know, for sure the same buck and then I was like, "Well, he really not going to come back anymore." And so when you go to walk to that same spot the next day, you walk through the same area and you bump him again, there's there's stories like that. So like if they don't really know what you are, I think the first time you bump them it's 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 going to be okay to hunt like obviously the third time you bump them that that deer might be like okay i kind of need to get out of this scene for a little bit but for the most part like especially if it's bedded there right like they bed there for a reason like because they they feel like they have an advantage because obviously they bedded there something that they didn't really know about was walking towards them or walking by them or something along those lines they got up from their bed ran away they survived to live another day so of course like that that setup worked. Why worked? They, yeah. Why wouldn't they bed there again? Like it, it it's kind of stupid not to. That's like that's like you shooting a deer three years in a row out of one tree. Like, are you gonna are you gonna hunt there that fourth year? Probably. Probably. I would. So it's just like 
I mean, think of it that way, and you know, it's kind of eye-opening. Yeah, it is. I think that's a that's a good point. That's a great place to wrap that one. So, number nine. What's the one encounter? Oh, you wait. Are you supposed to ask this one? I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, number nine. What's that one encounter that lives in your head rent-free? Mm, I think everybody has one. Everybody and it has to be an encounter. Like, like, it can be whatever. I'm going to talk about a shot opportunity. Um, or just a terrible shot. Uh, when I was like 18 or 19, I, I was hunting on public land. I bought a, a bow from Academy like two days before I went on this trip. I went down and shot two does on my first, uh, my first evening hunting this public land, drug them both out. Michael Justin was like, well, you saw a bunch of deer. You should go back and hunt that spot in the, uh, the next morning. Well, I hunted the next morning and we had this big old eight point on trail camera, like legitimately 140 inch eight. You hear 140 inch eight. You're like, oh, BS. No, 140 <laughs> inch eight. You have like, pictures confirmed. Yeah. I have pictures. I'm talking like 12 or 13 inch G2s, 11 inch threes, five inch eye guards, huge beams, good width. Like it was a beast. Well, I watched this deer work in for like at 9 a.m. He comes in like 25 yards. Well, I suck at hunting at this moment, especially bow hunting. So I shoot. I'm so nervous pulling back my bow. I've never even seen anything close. This is 50 inches bigger than anything I've ever shot. And you've I, been watching them for a while too, which oh, I watched them for like 30 minutes. It was terrible. Uh, it was like torture. Uh, I pull back on this deer and I shoot and I was just going to airmail him. Like I was going to shoot right in front of his brisket. But when I shot his head was down, so I wasn't shooting a lot of poundage. My bow was pretty slow. So when I shot, he reared up his, he turned his head to like kind of look exactly where it was coming from. And I hit him right in the forehead dead in the forehead like <laughs> and it sounded like barry bonds hitting a baseball dude it sounded like you broke a bat over somebody's leg like it was like Wah! and i remember him stumbling and it was like mike tyson i hit him with the right hook like dude he stumbled bad and i was like how is that deer standing up like i have no idea how this deer standing up he runs off and the only thing i can see as he's running off through the grass is just an, an arrow going wiggling through the grass like it got like half an inch of penetration this is a muzzy four blade fixed blade broadhead right to the dome piece uh he runs off i find the arrow broken off at the insert uh never found the deer the biggest one still one of the biggest deer that i've ever shot shot him right in the freaking forehead idiot move but it just it just happened that way it was nuts yeah well that one lives in my head Rent free for sure, for sure. Mine, dude, same place. Not the same time period, obviously, but 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 same same piece of public. That that would be mine too. And we talked about this the other day. Uh, just a quick story on mine. It's again that same piece of public, but he was like a. I don't know if he's a mainframe twelve or whether he had five or seven. I don't know, but at the time, biggest buck of my life and it was one of the very first few times i hunted public at all and long story short came out shot behind the shoulder it let out this god-awful roar like started doing a ditch digger ran out of sight no recovery well to wrap it with your story it's just like 
and we talked about this the other day, is we almost – we feel like it would have been fool's gold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's probably better we didn't get those bucks. Like, yeah, they'd, they'd, they'd make the wall look a heck of a lot better, but it's just like that – that sense of like, hey, we, we for sure didn't deserve these deer. I mean, heck, we don't deserve any of the deer we have on the wall. But it's just like, I mean, I think I think those, A, it sparked it, but it also kind of put that chip on our shoulder that was just like, no, no, I can I can get this done. Yeah. Yeah, that buck was a freaking monster. Both those deer were freaking beasts, especially as like, I hadn't, neither of us had grown up seeing deer like that. So to see those on public and both get shots at them with a bow, it would, I'd have been like, dude, we got this thing figured out. We, yeah. We got public figured out, but we still don't a decade no. later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Uh, what's, oh, whoops. Number 10. Ooh. So this one was actually, I'm actually going to look up his name real quick because he, he sent this message on Instagram and it was a, Oh, a guy, a guy sent this in. Yeah, yeah, he sent it on Instagram. Really? Give him a shout out real quick. His name is Trey. I'm going to murder this. I'm sorry, Trey. Trey Pritchard. Yeah, that's got to be it. And yeah, he said, pod topic. Who's on your Mount Rushmore of hunting? You get one TV influencer, one YouTube influencer, one podcaster, and one wild card. Sue's got the better whitetail killing team put together at the end. Dang. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a great question. One TV influencer, one YouTube influencer, and one wild card. If if you want to think on it for a second, you can because I uh, I kind of gave this one some thought. So I'll go first, and, go and then if so, let, let me let me pull up my notes. Actually, I might not not even need to. So for the TV influencer, I, here's the, here's the thing about it. Like my TV is YouTube now, and I assume the same for yours. But I was like, you know what? Just just for the sake of this question, TV Meat Eater is considered a TV show, correct? I guess technically. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think so. My TV influencer would be Stephen Ranella. I think like that's like the only one I could think of. Like you could say Drury Outdoors and stuff like that, but I just don't really relate with them, right? And then for the YouTube, I put this is pre meat eater since we like these guys. But uh, oh, Tyler and KC from the Element. That's two. You got to pick one. Damn it! Got to pick one. If I got to pick one, I think I think I want to say KC. I think I'm going to say KC. No offense to Tyler at all, but like, I just I don't know. I like I like that 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 fullback mentality. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. I don't know. That's why'd you have to do that? Because that it's two people. It's cheating. Anyways, so the podcaster I put part of Mediator. It's weird. All these are kind of lining up with Mediator, but uh, I put Tony Peterson. Because it's like a segment of Wired to Hunt. If you guys are wild card, no, 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 no. This is just for the podcaster. Because Tony Peterson has has a podcast on Wired to Hunt called Foundations. It's like a little uh, different segment other than Mark Kenyon's Wired to Hunt. So he does Foundations and like basically touches on some like really important topics, which I like because it kind of brings it like the whole hunting space down to earth. I feel. And then for my wild card, I already said his name once before in here. I put Aaron Warbritton 
because again, I've been listening to a lot of him and he just seems like that good old boy, you know? And, that, and that's, that's probably why I like the element too. Like they're just, they're just some good old boys. All right. Well, I, I put yours in the chat. So you got Steven Ranella, right? Casey Smith, Tony Peterson, and Aaron. That's Wolverine. wrong to make me split the, 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 the duo up, dude. I feel bad. Yeah, dude. I feel like I should just take Tyler just to spite you. Oh, okay. Well, no. Uh, um, okay. So Mount Rushmore, honey, you get one TV influencer. Uh, I already thought about this one. Uh, and I, I think I'm going to win based on my first pick here. Uh, Michael Waddell. Okay. Waddy, bang, baby, big butt killer. Um, been doing it forever all around the country. Okay. Um, one YouTube influencer is a nice one. I'm going to take Chris B. God, you're oh, such a simp. Right. You're a simp. <laughs> Hey, you said the Mount Rushmore. You didn't. <laughs> uh, so next is a podcaster. Yes, a podcaster. Pod- and you can't say me. I know. I know I'm up there, but. <laughs> I'm trying to think which podcast. I, the, the, the Tony Peterson was a really good one. Um, that was a really good one for the podcaster. Well, I'm going to take. Uh, he also likes hunting around water. So do I. So. I, well, little do you know, this man is a podcaster and in fault. He is technically a podcaster. Okay. You're okay. So, so this is what you're doing. You're taking like okay, the best. Imagine, imagine I'm like okay, we're playing Madden, right? Yeah. Right now, my team's looking like like the Patriots, like with Tom Brady, right? Yep. What you're doing is you're going back to like the like the the Madden overall ninety nine like like. Uh, all-star, all-star team. team yeah that's what you're doing right now well don't, don't worry I, i'm still confident in my team but uh well my wild card my wild card is um sexton pope that's gonna be the uh the last one that i have why do you say that well he wrote an amazing book hunting with a bow and arrow and okay. he's one of the founders seems of like pope a basic Young. title but okay it was written in like 1920, I think. Uh, and then one of the founders of the Pope and Young Club, freaking pioneer of bow hunting. So that's a, uh, and also he's so old that you guys don't even know the kind of skills that he has. Imagine if he had a compound, dude, Saxon Pope with a crossbow. Must, it's over. Must not have been too good. If, if, if you have to research stuff about him, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. All his DVDs weren't out yet when I went to watch him on YouTube. So I got Waddell, Chris B, Dan, and Fault Saxon Pope. That's who I got. Okay, so let's let's just take this one step further and compare. So we have Steven Ranella versus Michael Waddell. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? You put them. Let's say I, I guess this isn't for we're putting them. Either is it? No, I mean it can kind of be for whatever. I guess. I mean, I kind of base mine around Whitetail or or whatever. But I think. Damn, dude. Michael Waddell, if we base it around Whitetail, I think Steve would get beat. But if we base it around... The question was hunting in general, though. Right, but if we base it around anything, like whether it be goat or moose or elk or muley or something, I think Steve takes takes the cake against yeah. Michael. And my second answer there would have been Jim Shockey. And that, that's a good one. I think that would have been a better runner. Steve, I, I don't know. I think hey, it's hard it's to It's your beat. list. 
Yeah, Steve. Steve is. It would be hard to beat for like an overall pick on like just hunting in general. I give that one to Steve probably. Okay. Okay. So we got Casey Smith versus Chris B. I don't know. Casey's a killer. If we want to, we can add Tyler and Casey into this, but then it'd be a a two v one. But I guess one could be filming and one and put their minds together. But again, that wouldn't be fair. So I guess Casey Smith versus Chris B. I don't know. Yeah. I've seen, seen Casey kill some big ones. I, I think I think Chris B's a little more diverse. He's got a little more diversity in his killing style. No man, Casey's killed elk. You know, he's. Uh, I don't know if he has a mule deer yet. I know Tyler does, but I don't know. But that, but but then again, Chris Chris has I think killed an elk. He's killed he's killed a moose. Moose. He's got a speed goat. He's done pretty good. Got a good just resume. from the just from the diversity, and I know there's like different circumstances and and things about, but I would probably have to give this one to Chris. Yeah. All right. So we're one one going to this one. So for the podcaster, Tony dude, this Peter- one's good. Tony Peterson versus Dan Infault. Who's better at podcasts? Tony Peterson, <laughs> dude. <laughs> He's so, a beast on the mic. For the longest time, I didn't know what Tony Peterson actually looked like. I just was kind of like trying to make up a, a an avatar based on his uh, voice. Based on his voice, yeah. dude. Through it was like shell uh, shell shock because uh, like I finally looked what or looked up a picture of him and I was like, dude, that voice does not match that really face. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I didn't, thought he would look. Like. I didn't think so. What do you think on this one, Dan Impfold or Tony? Dude, I'm going with Tony. Like Dan's Dan Dan's cool, but uh, I mean, he trust me, he knows his stuff about whitetail betting. But think of the broad spectrum of hunting in general. I think Tony has the, like takes the cake. Think so? I think so. Well, Dan Impfold's not on social media, so he won't hear this. But I, I mean, yeah, I could go with that. That's I'm I'm, I'm okay with that one. Okay, Tony's so, a beast. So I mean, you two, did get to go one. first, so no crap. You got some. You could have. T- you could have taken the same one. It's fine. No, I can't do that. All right, last one. This is your wild card. All right, we got Aaron Warbritton versus Saxon Pope. We got dude. This is like uh, this is like Tyson <laughs> Fury versus Muhammad Ali. This is just this is just transcends time. Hmm. The Godfather of bow hunting, man. I don't know. How could you beat that? I mean, it is called Pope and Young, and not War Britain and Young. So that, that's a pretty good name too, though. Is, I don't know. I don't know. It is. It's a hard comparison just for, just from time related because you think Saxon actually had that like that difficult of hunting pressure that that Aaron's had. And Aaron's he, killed elk. He's killed he whitetail. He's killed a lot of stuff. He didn't have this crazy thing called a cam on a bow. Like there was no cams. There was no. Mm. He, he was bow. See, hunting. now you're just getting technical. Yeah, yeah. This is like the uh, this is like the debate. Like the guy who kills with a compound all the time, and then, like the trad guy comes in. He's like, dude, it didn't even like shouldn't be in the record unless it's a trad. Yeah, I mean, dang, this one's tough. I'll let I'll let you make the decision on this because I can I'm go biased. either way. I'm biased. I mean, this is like a. I'll tell you what. To, okay, go go ahead. No, go ahead. No, yeah. I was just gonna say we can like leave this unsettled because right now I'm up to one, right? Yeah, I'm up to one. What we can do is we can leave this to the audience and the TikTok and Instagrammers. 
That's fair. on whether this is a tie or whether this is a straight out domination. All right. Well, that's what we'll do. We'll leave it up to the folks. Uh, we got Steve Ranella versus Michael Waddell, Casey Smith versus Chris B, Tony Peterson versus Dan Infault, and Saxton Pope versus Aaron Warbritton. You guys tell us what you think. I mean, I know my team won, but I mean, send us a message. The thing is, is your team can't win. If anything, it's going to be a tie. So, well, the the people might be like, dude, I guess that's a head to head. We can do it overall, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the best we come up. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, Mount Rushmore. I mean, there's some definitely some new age people in here. The real Mount Rushmore might be a little older than some of these folks that we're talking about. And it would. And it would. I mean, I think we both just based this off of what we personally like. Cause like, yeah. lot, cause I guarantee a lot of people are going to be like, how come seek one ain't up there or something along those lines. And it's just like, I mean, great. Like, but I mean, I watch their stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not like crazy about, about, uh, the urban hunting scene. Right. Yeah, so. that's fair. Well, um, that was a pretty good episode. I hope people enjoyed talking about the, some age old hunting debates. And if you guys enjoy these kind of off the wall episodes, trust me, we have a ton of ideas. We can make more of these. We could, <laughs> we could, we could easily come up with more things to talk about. So, uh, a couple things before we go, we just released a shed hunting video. Need check, to go check out that. Uh, how many sheds again? 62, 62 sheds. Dang. Pretty, that's like pretty good. That's like, what is that? 31 bucks. Dang. Whoa. Match sets. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, that that's live. We're doing a podcast with Joe Miles today. That's mm. pretty exciting. That's uh, exciting. That'll probably come out later this week, weekend, something like that. Uh, so that's coming. That's really exciting. We've got some new merch coming out. So be looking out on Instagram when we get that stuff in. We're gonna send that to you for the folks that have ordered hats right now. We had a few orders for camo hats. Uh, those are coming. We, I got mine, suckers. Jake, yeah, Jake's got the OG, <laughs> the original. Uh, that's coming. I'm trying to think what else we got going on. Tack. Do, if anyone's going to be at Beaver's Bend, we're more than happy to to uh, meet, up, meet up, talk, say hi, shoot some bows, shoot some bows, help find my arrows. Might need some helpers for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we do have a new we do have a new partnership coming. I don't think we'll talk about it on this episode, but it's going to be exciting. Just be uh, be on the lookout for that. It's very exciting. Very, very exciting. exciting for us I and thought, for you. I thought you were going to spill the beans. It's like we're going to have to edit this, man. No. <laughs> you're going to have to edit this, man. No, um, we got some exciting stuff coming. So, anyways, need a saddle platform, needs ticks. Ooh. Go check out not on a limb. HNTA 10 for 10% off. If you like shopping in America, you're on that sustainability front. Go get you something that's going to last forever. So if you're from Oklahoma and you don't rock out on a limb, they're an Oklahoma based company. So what are you doing? Support, support local business. Yeah. Small business, mom and pop shops, baby. Go get it. Uh, I think that's all we got on this episode. Be looking out for the Joe miles episode. We got a lot of stuff coming over the horizon. Go check out the YouTube video and we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Jesus loves you. Bye. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.